0: This podcast is brought to you by Artful Scribe, a writer development agency based in Southampton, supported by Arts Council England and other partners. To find out more, please visit www.artfulscribe.co.uk. A content warning for the following episode discussions of loss and grief, negative responses, attitudes to trans and gender non-conforming experiences. CJ is a non binary writer, actor, and director who specialises in queer feminist new writing and adaptations. They are the creative director of Southwest based production company Epicity Theatre and have recently submitted their PhD in Shakespeare and Gender Performance at Bath Spa University. In 2009, CJ's short play Everyone Is Dead won Theatre West's Write on Women and toured the Southwest in association with Bristol Old Vic. They have co written multiple horror comedies in collaboration with Black Dog Productions and Dunblond Theatre. And most recently, their play *Thunder*, a reimagining of John Webster's *The White Devil*, exploring sex work, reproductive rights, and queer identity in modern-day rural Arizona, was selected for R and D at *Invulnerable Nothing's* Barn Lab in the U.S. You're based in a small town in Wiltshire, and um, so your kind of nearest hubs are are your Bristol's and Bath's and Exeter's and and Southampton. And um, so, how does it feel, kind of being based in a more kind of like? rural area where people don't necessarily expect the arts to kind of be like a thriving kind of part of the community
1: um feels actually yeah someone who has recently moved to like a small town in wiltshire Mm -hmm. from uh from bath from Mm -hmm. a much bigger town Mm -hmm. um where it's it feels a lot easier to be invisible Mm. um like my first few experiences of doing theater projects in in, around the area that i'm in now were i learned so much from them in terms of like when we were doing as you like it Mm -hmm, last mm -hmm. summer uh so we when we were rehearsing outside in that community garden and that community garden was still open to the public you get people wandering in you get them saying, this is great, we need so much more of this in our community, Mm. we need this to be reaching people in um, supported living, Mm. in care homes, uh, people from low-income communities who, like, uh, we don't have access to this. Mm. And, like, physically having those conversations with people, like, you you always know that stuff is going on, Mm. but being able to, as a theatre company, like, ground yourself in in those conversations and actually be like oh right now actually I'm in a physical place in the country where if I'm doing that kind of work uh, like I can so much easily like reach those people Mm. like I'm in a position of physical closeness but also like because there are it feels like there's less people it feels like those people are more easily reachable Mm. um and it's yeah it's such it's through those creative processes through through being part of community theater being part of um professional theater projects that I have learned about the community I'm now a part of Mm -hmm. um and started to feel like I've been welcomed into that community Mm. um and so yeah those processes and like like the act of creating and being creative has like Help me form connections. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's just great. It's yeah. Just
0: <laughs> that's wonderful. And I think it's um I think it's it's, 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 a, it's a it's a it's a very necessary and needed thing. But it's also it's a bold thing to do, to kind of say, right, people go to the big places like, you know, like London and, and, and Bristol and um if you were talking about in the south and um, you know, because that's where the opportunities are, but f- mm-hmm. for you to say, I want to do this here and I want to make my community here and I can see it would be so beneficial but not quite so easy to get things rolling because people just don't necessarily expect it. And that's been, like, kind of affirmed by the comments and feedback you've got going, like, oh, we need more stuff like this. We just don't get to see a lot of this. It sounds like you've placed yourself in a a situation where people are just kind of, like, crying out for that kind of, like, creativity and community engagement around the arts.
1: Yeah, literally. Like, um when we did as you like it mm-hmm. it was a really explicitly queer adaptation mm-hmm. you know we had an all queer company mm-hmm. and uh we and, and i think there is a stereotype around small towns and like kind of semi rural like communities that they're not open to stuff mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. uh, which is really not the case like mm-hmm. it was like we were welcomed in by the venue, by the audiences, like um, by even the people in, who's like community garden. We mm-hmm. kind of were shouting and singing and <laughs> dancing in our underwear. In. <laughs> um, and like we had, uh, like the feedback that we got from it, there were people saying like, I think this is the first time I've ever seen a queer person on stage or a queer character on stage. Mm. And just like, that is so validating. Like Absolutely. it's so yeah like it 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 disrupts stereotypes and it like proves to you that you're wanted mm, mm. in places like that, yeah,
0: absolutely because because like newsflash, you know, like queer people live in small towns and in the country as well. Wow I know <laughs> but there there is that the sense and i've and I've certainly heard like um like kind of writers and performers like say, like you know, who are from a queer background, you know like sometimes you just need to go where it's going to be easier for you and i can totally understand that and i've I've done that myself but like i think it's so it's so needed um uh, and just and it's just a reality to be able to go like like everybody else you know we 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 exist in a multitude of places we don't all live in brighton in the same house um <laughs> like so and how has your experience been being being like, being like a being like an openly queer person in in quite like a small place? Like, because um, obviously, that can have its challenges, but also it sounds like it has had a really lovely um, supportive element to it as well.
1: Yeah, um, I don't know. I honestly, I kind of feel like I feel less visible, and for some people, that is not something that that they seek they Mm. they want the visibility that's important to them Mm. but for me uh as someone who I was gonna say quietly quit I'm not that is not (laughs) (laughs) um no such thing um but I I feel like it like I can go about my daily life Mm, mm. and um yeah in all honesty like it hasn't it doesn't feel like it impacts my daily life. Mm. It doesn't feel like I as a person have changed or had to change myself at all, Mm. moving to a different part of the country. I guess Mm. I still work in a lot of the same spaces that I used to. I still like uh, work with a lot of the same people that Mm. I work with. So Mm. I have that visibility in certain ways Mm. in my daily life already. Mm. Mm. Um, But I'm just like, like knocking about, a quiet little town like i'm just like popping into aldi i'm just yeah <laughs> going to the pub like mm-hmm. and uh, like people don't treat you any different mm. yeah
0: yeah that's 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 lovely to hear and um and i think it's a really important story to tell because i think certainly certainly if you are like a young queer person growing up somewhere that's quite rural and remote you could just think like well this place doesn't belong to me you know yeah.
1: um and there are definitely like like there are places or experiences where that is the case mm. like not everyone shares the experience that i have mm. but i'm quite lucky that like i'm i'm quite like secure
0: mm. Mm.
1: in that mm. but yeah yeah it's not always the case is it
0: yeah exactly and um i think also as 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 well talking about the the idea of being quietly queer which I think in some ways is a bit of an oxymoron it's like it's like can you do that it's like but of course you can because like 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 any any person um there's nuances and different sides to everybody and I think kind of what this one of the thing this podcast series is seeking to speak to and and like give a platform to is a a, I suppose a quiet form of queerness if like you know get because certainly we're going to be putting these episodes out over pride month which is a wonderfully loud expression of queerness and Uh, I'm all for that (laughs) um but there's also the different size to it as well and I think it's um you know maybe something that is not quite as understood because I think I think the sort of cultural understanding of the word queer now which obviously still has its cultural baggage and that's really understandable um I think people understand queer now as as a very like like uh declarative loud thing yeah whereas it's 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 a nuanced thing and I'm, I'm interested what the words queer means to you and kind of what things it brings to mind
1: um well like because obviously you're still queer even if you're like in the closet Mm -hmm. like you're queer even if you haven't come into yourself yet in that way and like you're you're queer if you uh aren't in a relationship or if you are if you're like with a same sex partner if you're um a other sex partner sorry um you're queer if you're not expressing yourself in ways that we would define as like queer in air quotes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, but I think for me, you know, that's, that's a really hard question. It's a really hard question. Um, for me, I think it is a feeling, is giving into a feeling that, I've always had mm. like queerness is a an embodied feeling like like as a kid I remember having this feeling like something's weird like something like I feel like something in me is at odds with the mm. world around me mm. and obviously never had that language never had those words or that actually understood what that was Mm. as a Mm. child um and so it's kind of coming into that understanding that oh that's what that was yeah and absolutely yeah yeah have it having the like confidence to start becoming that person
0: Mm. yeah Yeah. and you sort of you feel kind of that word gave you the space to kind of be that person that you knew that you were.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think, like, beyond kind of, if you think about, like, you're your kind of choosing from that drop-down menu when people ask, like, when monitoring surveys are like, <laughs> ah, so define your sexuality for us. Define your gender for us. Um, it's like having the option to not pick, you know, are you gay or straight? Are you bi? Mm-hmm. Like, are you cis are you trans it's Mm -hmm. like queer is a queer can be all-encompassing or it can be really a a really specific way to define yourself Mm -hmm. it's it's not like you can't define queer Mm. and I think that's what makes it so great like that's what makes it so yeah Mm. such so empowering
0: Mm. yeah absolutely I think I love the fact that the LGBTQIA plus community is referred to as like an umbrella term and an umbrella community. It's kind of what it is really. It's kind of, it feels like a sort of a safe space to kind of like shelter under and kind of like explore yourself and see that the kind of other people like you, you don't have to be exactly like them. You're just kind of all hanging out in the same space.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It celebrates difference, doesn't Mm. it? Like, and I think, I think we were saying it earlier, there are people who aren't comfortable with the term queer. Mm -hmm there are people who like it is still it has negative feelings attached to it um like it's been used against people Mm. for a long time and Mm. i think there can still be a really visceral visceral reaction to that Mm. Mm. um but i think that sense of like it's slowly being reclaimed like for more and more people it has positive meaning
0: The LGBTQIA+ community knows all about is that sense of kind of like reclaiming words, and like it's. I think it's something I think kind of speaks to the the writer and the creator in in all in all queer people is that sense that we know very well of kind of like defining ourselves and kind of like writing our own our own story. Um, One of my favourite quotes at the moment is from Alec Menon, and talking about joy in a queer in a queer context as like kind of self-authorship, you know. And there's, I think so much in what um i think people who go through that process of you know kind of understanding themselves and kind of like you know transitioning really into 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 their their true selves is that kind of self-authorship you know
1: Mm. and like language as well like as a way of exploring Mm -hmm. like exploring pronouns exploring words that we use to define ourselves um Yeah, yeah. That sense of exploration and like writing your own story. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah.
0: And what has like writing meant to you over like the course of your life, and uh, like kind of how is it? How has it kind of helped you to grow as a person?
1: Oh, (laughs) Um, I think it's it's always been my way of understanding the world and recently it's become a way of understanding myself. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I used to find, um, like going down the rabbit hole, uh, with, um, within a character, like exploring an experience was a way for me to like, kind of take myself out of the world that I was already in, Mm. um, out of the, uh, kind of identity that I was already in, Mm. Um, and like imagine Mm. imagine alternative identities imagine alternative experiences um and recently it's kind of been like the more and more i write the more i have to reflect back on or i can be like i can see bits of myself in different characters that i've written or i can be like oh this is a really common thread in my work Mm. that actually I was clearly working through something here or, like, clearly I'm still working through something. Like, there are things that we gravitate towards as writers, aren't there?
0: Absolutely. and Yeah, certainly for me, I, I found, like, sometimes my writer self knows before I do what's going on, you know? And I think that's why writing it for anybody, you know, whether you prefer, pursue it professionally or, you know, as something you enjoy doing, it's just like having a conversation with yourself, you know? Yeah. you know. And and that's not to kind of try and re- reduce it down and say like, oh, you know, it's just it's just basically all you. Because, of course, you know, um, we all come from our own experience, but we can create these big, great um, imaginative worlds. Um, but, you know, we're sort of it's a, such a wonderful space to kind of, you know, work things out. And especially as a as a as a queer person, like, you know, I think in my writing, I've, I've written stuff and I'm like, hmm, why is this character sort of working out things to do with trans and gender identity. I wonder why I wonder why that is. Oh yeah, because I'm writing it. That's why. Oh yeah, I should probably think Where about this. Where does
2: this come from?
0: <laughs> exactly. 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 And um I think it's just such a wonderful tool that we that we that we can all access and kind of does belong to everybody. Um and that's why I really love uh the work that so many great organizations do, particularly Artful Scribe, is to try and give writing back to the people, you know, which feels like a big kind of like preachy statement. But that's really what we need to do is because it, it does belong to everybody yeah
1: and it's seeing like sometimes it's that experience as a writer or director being sat in an audience watching your words or like sometimes even your experience that you've as kind of been like infused into your words like through other people's perspectives looking at it through new eyes mm. kind of gives you like an objectivity to sit back and be like, okay, let's maybe there's something to unpack or maybe there's something to explore. Like maybe there's a route I need to be going like a path. I mm. need to be going down mm. um, that I'm not yet mm. or that I'm just starting out on is yeah. Sometimes it's that process of reflection that it allows you to go through that you wouldn't otherwise have done.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Do you feel there's any any particular themes and subjects that kind of resonate throughout your work and that you repeatedly come back to?
1: Um, yeah, there's a lot of them, actually. <laughs> um, one of them is, like... Uh, one of them that's really prevalent at the moment in my writing, I think, is grief. Mm. And this idea of... It's either you've lost someone you've lost yourself or a part of yourself through something or you are seeking something Mm. like or like in some cases it's like grieving for something that never was like Mm. Mm. um i'm working on I'm allowed to talk about things I'm working on. I mean, I mean, I mean it's, it's
0: you know your schedule, babe. Like, if you if you can or can't talk about it, I, I, that's all on you. I'm afraid. Um,
1: like, so basically, at the moment, I'm I'm writing a story that's about coming out. Okay. Um, or there are there's there's characters that come out in it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's some of it is that like that like frustration. Of like, why? Why was I never this person before? Why was I never given this option before? Mm. And that is that is a form of grieving,
0: absolutely, yeah. But
1: also, like, with the recognition of that, like, that can that sets you on a whole new path, doesn't it? Totally. It do.
0: Yeah, that's so that's such a wonderful, fascinating thing to be to be delving into. And I have seen seen this in in the work of yours that I've read. There's this this wonderful duality by the sense of grief and loss, but then also the sense of possibility, and 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 that that is part of a cycle, you know, that kind of a promise of newness and and uh, rejuvenation, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, like there even among, like my mom is always like, "Why do you always write about really depressing stuff?" And I'm like, sometimes, like those moments of joy. Kind of in the darkness, like in the really tough mm, stuff. Mm. Like they burn brighter for it,
0: absolutely. And
1: yeah. they, yeah, they have more weight.
0: Yeah, I mean, do you think you can have joy without suffering?
1: That's a very philosophical question. <laughs> um, yeah, I think you, I think you can, but I think if if you can, you're very lucky too. Mm. Mm. I think it's really rare. Mm. Um I think you're very unlikely if you if you do have joy without suffering, I think you're unlikely to recognise it as joy. Mm. I think yeah.
0: Mm. Yeah, there's um there's this line sort of reading around the topic of, of um of of joy, um, as a sort of more general topic as well as queer joy, I came across this book, which is a conversation between the Archbishop Desmond Tutu and uh, the Dalai Lama. And um, there's one uh, phrase that really stuck up with me. I think it's uh, uh, Archbishop Tutu's talking, which, just as an aside, I think it would make a wonderful drag name. Maybe someone wants to take that up. (laughs) Anyway, um, sort of talking about the the correlation between queerness and joy. Um, And uh, they're both such joyful people who've been through so much hardship. And um, um, uh, the Archbishop was saying, you know, the path to joy, very much like the path... um, to, to kind of sadness is, is is lined with suffering you know and I think that could come across as a very like sort of resigned de- depressing thing to say I think it's just kind of an admission that joy is possible whatever you're experiencing and also quite essential if you're experiencing a uh, difficulty particularly if you're going through uh, things like loss and grief as you've been talking about you know and, and kind of you know seeing something something within that
1: yeah and it's like it's like hope as well isn't it mm-hmm. it's like like especially at times like now when so many of us are like like cost of living crisis mental health crisis mm-hmm. environmental mm-hmm. crisis all the crises mm-hmm. like it's it's that like there's got to be a way out of it mm-hmm. like that that thought that keeps the spark alive mm-hmm. and that keeps you moving towards something that's more positive that mm. keeps you like fighting mm. Mm. otherwise like yeah if you lose that hope like if you lose that end point that you're searching for or that joy you're searching for mm. it's like what's the point
0: mm. <laughs> yeah i I one of the pieces that um you sent over before this um podcast for me to read through um one in particular i was really moved by and just really loved for so many reasons which is uh your short piece beyond the shore is this a short piece or part of a wider kind of piece
1: um oh i don't know yet i it's one i wrote that during lockdown mm-hmm. um i wrote that like surrounded by death
3: mm.
1: and that need yeah that need to like find hope that i think that piece was very much a searching for the light in the darkness kind mm. of mm piece yeah but yeah so at the moment it's a standalone Mm. like extended monologue
0: Mm.
1: but yeah I don't know what it'll become
2: Mm
0: -hmm. yeah I'm just gonna set it up for our listeners um if you don't mind me reading some of your words words back to you so this is kind of like the intro which I think in itself is when you're writing scripts it's a real art to writing the kind of the stuff that isn't the actual dialogue or monologue you know I think it is a real art of writing writing scripts death rows a battered dinghy down a river sweating a little with the effort the boat is crammed with people none of them helping maybe paddle boats shaped like swans pass by as they go maybe they are alone against the dark backdrop of a looming landscape i think that just sets up the scene so beautifully and there's so much so many images that spring to mind and like that kind of come from that scene that you just set up there
1: i hate yeah it is funny hearing it read back yeah those are the bits that you never hear out loud aren't mm. they? they're they the mm. bits that like inform how a director or an actor can like take that piece and run with it mm. and that's what it's meant to do that is meant to like provide options it's mm. meant to give like you the option as a performer to like take what you need from it and interpret what you need from it mm. um and in that yeah i think it like, hopefully that captures, like, the, the goal of the monologue, which is to kind of offset this, like, really bizarre situation and that bina- bizarreness of of everything that happens, that yeah. death talks about, um, against that really, like, kind of scary unknownness mm. that is the idea of death mm-hmm. and dying mm-hmm. and what comes next.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you're because obviously uh, death is a character that kind of human society has I suppose created whatever your kind of views on death are in a way to I suppose to kind of embody this thing that is quite terrifying for a lot, a lot of us and it's been depicted in so many different ways and I love your your depiction of death because I kind of it kind of speaks on the one hand to kind of like the absurdity of the situation a um, sort of this figure that nobody really wants to engage with or kind of uh, uh and when they realize what's going on they kind of flee there's this character who just really wants to connect and help people but because they are deaf um they're prohibited from doing that because of their job title yeah really you know <laughs> yeah and there's a there's a wonderful it's a wonderful sadness in that yeah yeah
1: and yeah i get like that's one of the monologues isn't it that where or one of the pieces where Frustration really shows up. Mm-hmm. That frustration, like, why can't I get through to you? Mm-hmm. Why won't you pay attention to me? Mm-hmm. Why won't you, yeah? Why won't you listen to all the, like, to that reaching out?
0: Mm. Uh, it really speaks to the, I think the difficulty, like, that you that you ex- explore in your work around loss and grief that we all struggle with is is the the message that there is there that we don't always want to listen to because we don't want to acknowledge that it's going on. For one, you know, whatever it is we're struggling. With losing and grieving for, there is always someone in there. Um, in the case of your your monologue, this really frustrated, uh, annoyed <laughs> character who is death saying, "Just, just listen to me. You know, I've got something <laughs> to tell you. Like, don't run away from me."
1: Yeah, um, but also saying like like this is part of the journey, mm-hmm. like, and that, like the feelings that, um, because death talks about she talks about um like a person that she engaged with doesn't she mm. she talks mm. about having a funeral director in her bow and kind of watching the processing of oh i'm i'm dead mm. like mm. in this person's like body language and in the ways that they interact and and it's that like Give yourself time to feel your feelings. Give mm. yourself time to process, especially like writing in COVID. Like um, yeah. I wrote it for a um, a US-based company called Quake Theater. Did a okay. um, COVID monologues right. live stream, mm. um, and that I wrote it for that, Amazing. Um, and have since continued developing it. Mm. But the, like writing very much for a for a event and in a context that was challenging in a sense that it kind of, it like forces you to sit with a lot of things that are mm. very, very alien and uncomfortable and like, just like heartbreaking and, and impossible to deal with. Mm. And um, yeah, encouraging, I don't know, encouraging yourself through writing or encourage like (laughs) even subconsciously (laughs) to like sit with those feelings and Mm. and be like feel them and Mm. yeah can you deal with them I don't know like (laughs) even try Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely and um I love your kind of I just I don't know whether I'm just kind of reading too much into this but I feel (laughs) I feel death to me feels like a very kind of um a queer character or a character who's kind of working something out, you know, because I get this sense from their desire to kind of, they don't just want to do the job they've been prescribed, which is to kind of dolefully take people to the afterlife. They want to connect. They want to be with people. They want to help people. And um, there's this sense of, you know, kind of being, not being able to become the person they want to become, you know, does death want to dress all in black or do they want to, you know, kind of dress like Dolly Parton, you know, like... (laughs) I kind of I kind of see that, and there's I think it really in a way speaks to that the kind of the queer experience of kind of like having one foot forward and another foot back. There's this line from um, this collection I've been reading um, called "I Feel Love: Notes on Queer Joy," um, which is it's also the it's also the title of the piece. Um, it's writer Aidy Yancey and she's writing about sort of discovering her identity as a as a as a queer person uh, and different parts of her sexuality. And she's studying, uh, doing a degree in gender studies, and they do one of those exercises where you take a step back or remain where you are depending on where certain privileges place you. And um, she finds herself doing this position where she's one foot rooted and one foot forward when she's asked, are you straight? And she's just like poleaxed and like, I don't know what to do. And she describes this, and this is the title of the, the piece, as the ridiculous flamingo dilemma. <laughs> which I love
1: yes Um, that's such a strong image (laughs)
0: absolutely because flamingos in themselves are very very camp and very very queer and um I think it's something that we all know in our in our quest to discover ourselves um you know have you had a ridiculous flamingo dilemma moment that you can recall
1: (laughs) personally oh um probably I mean almost definitely can you
0: I mean, I think I think I've had many. I think I've had I think I've had many. <laughs>
1: Life is a long line of ridiculous flamingo moments. <laughs>
0: absolutely, absolutely. Um, but I think it also speaks to the kind of I think embracing the ridiculousness and certainly as uh, uh, as like you know gender non-conforming queer people something we have to really reckon with and try and see the the joy in it. You know, the sense of and not kind of feel like we have to be these finished polished. Um, versions of ourselves all the time you know yeah. that we are constantly evolving and, and transitioning as as everybody is whether they're whether they're queer or not you know um, as human beings we do all the time yeah. um i think we just kind of um uh, as queer people are more ready to label it because society expects us to call it that for one but also you know kind of we we know that we are a kind of a work in progress and working towards our what feels our authentic selves so we're going to have plenty of ridiculous flamingo moments
1: yeah yeah And with every, like, new space you walk into, right, you're in kind of one of those moments, like, that sussing out with one foot still out the door, like, is it safe to be, what version of myself is it safe to be Mm. in this space, in Mm. this context with these people? Mm. Yeah. I think I'm still um, starting, like, gradually starting to perform again Mm -hmm. since, since coming out. And, and since, like, starting to present in a different way is, is kind of one of those moments, kind of those, like, there's part of me that still feels secure in the parts that I want, that I used to play and mm-hmm. that I'm used to playing. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of, I, I get typecast a lot as, like, the dragon lady, like the, the, the dragon queen, mm-hmm. um, yeah. this, like, really stern, stoic, um, like, regal person and actually learning that the person I've like emerged as is kind of is a lot messier than that and is a lot freer than that mm. and but being like there's still a safety in those roles that I used to play and that is familiar to me I know I can embody that yeah um whereas my casting has the potential to become something really different now I have the potential to embody so many different roles mm. with this newfound confidence and kind of tiptoeing into, oh, maybe I am brave enough to submit myself for that new cut, ca- that casting. Mm. Maybe I am brave enough to kind of like start to embody queerness a bit more in the characters that I play mm. or allow myself to be, yeah, to, to step into those roles more mm. is, is kind of a process of flamingos <laughs> <laughs> yeah. standing in a row <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's so exciting to hear and I think it is something that the the creative industry is waking up to more I mean I think it's much more common these days to have kind of you know casting calls that that aren't just for males and females they're for non-binary and transgender people as well and obviously there's still a lot of work to do there but I think that that as a sort of a kind of a, uh, a general thing now is, is quite a is quite a positive step forward and um I see it more and more in, in in kind of um big shows as well kind of casting that feels like it's been done in quite a, a blind way both in terms of gender but also race um mm. uh I really loved the Netflix uh version of the Sandman like from Neil Gaiman's comics Oh
1: I haven't watched that yet I
0: really recommend it I sort of made me think of it because of your take on death I think there's a there's a sort of a, a sort of a similar riff I think that um that Neil Gaiman does in the in the sort of graphic novel series The Sandman and then in the adaptation where death is played by a a woman Mm. and she's this very kind of like sort of understated character who's just kind of there to kind of help people and be there with people. And I think Neil Gaiman as a writer is someone who's like, I think a really good inspiration for young writers because he takes on really big stuff like, you know, like kind of gods and mythical creatures but makes it very relatable and very funny. Um, And I think... Kind of just gives you permission as someone who wants to create to be like, I can do anything I want. You know, there's, 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 kind of nothing is off limits. You know, if I kind of come from it from an authentic place.
1: Yeah, and like fantasy worlds and like really like high fiction worlds, dystopias, like are a really good place to do that, aren't mm, they? Mm. As writers, mm-hmm. like as I know, you know, from this kind of stuff you write.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it's um, it's, I think it's just the sense of as, as a writer, kind of like giving yourself uh permission you know and um and i do sometimes whether whether we need to give ourselves permission to be joyful also particularly as, as queer people because i've certainly seen it was wonderful hearing you talk about kind of the journey you've been on as you've embraced more and more who you are you feel more able to kind of do stuff that stretches you and kind of speaks uh i don't know to in a different way to perhaps how people used to see you as this kind of like you know quite uh Austere, like kind of remote figure, you're like, but I'm actually much more nuanced than that. Yeah. And because you've in kind of done the work to kind of embrace yourself more, people are seeing that more and there's more possibilities. Um, I think I've certainly seen in my work that I do less of the kind of like ragey kind of queer stuff, which is I'm all for and needs and certainly needs a place. But I'm, the more I learn to appreciate myself and then also appreciate the people around me, the more I come from right from a place of joy and like kind of yeah. play and. Um, appreciation
1: yeah i i think every writer goes through that right Mm. or a lot of writers do Mm. i definitely did like there was a time like for years and years everything i've written has been really ragey and really like like those moments of joy are a lot fewer and far between Mm. and a lot of it was like that need that like wanting that to be visible right that wanting like like to say to people like do you see do you see a lot of the other stuff that other people feel do you see a lot of the stuff that other people go through like um and and so much anger in that Mm. um and that anger is still there like that rage is still there Mm. in a lot of the stuff that I write but yeah I think I think it's like it's like you say it's like listening to yourself and the need for that joy, but also listening to the world around you. And like actually sometimes recognizing that joy is re- is like what people need right now. Mm, mm. Um, I think there's a writer called Chino Adimba mm-hmm. who wrote a play um, called Black Love. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't get to see the show. It sounded like an amazing show, but um, I read an article about it where she was talking about, um, the play was about two siblings. Mm. um, And she was saying like, particularly from the perspective of a black writer, like why, why are we always shown the negative experiences? Why are we always shown to come from negativity? Mm. Why can there not be positivity in our backgrounds and in our relationships, like Mm. especially in, those kind of non-romantic relationships Mm. um like why do we never see that on stage and so like that kind of call to action almost Mm. like write more of these stories write more connection write more joy Mm. like in the queer community giving ourselves permission like you say to Mm. like Mm -hmm. represent maybe not even like where we've come from but where we want to go like imagine a future
0: Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah I think that's so well put um and I think I think they they're kind of doing the same thing as as far as I'm concerned you know like whether you're speaking speaking truth to power and and kind of amplifying things that are really important um or whether you're kind of you know talking about the joy you find in your day just being yourself and it doesn't even have to be explicitly referencing the fact that you're a, a queer person I think you know just just by Just by kind of documenting your experience and making it um, accentuating the joy and positivity of that, that is that is a radical thing, really. You know, whether you mean it to be or not. You know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. think if any of us look back at shows that we did like a f- couple of years ago like there are always things you're going to change like I know playwrights who have like published works and that is there in print now forever but they're like oh I wish I'd just done this one thing in it I went like there's always stuff that we want to change no creative no piece of art is ever going to be perfect mm. but giving yourself permission as Or like walking into a process with an understanding that it's, you might want it to be perfect, but it's never going to be. Absolutely. it's never going to be exactly the thing that you envisioned. Mm -hmm. It's really freeing.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I love that. It makes me think of something um, you're sort of talking about, certainly with like kind of like playwrights and having done productions of, of work when you were just starting out. And of course, as we all hope to do, and we all naturally do, you progress and you kind of look back and you're like, oh, what was I? I oh, was I thinking? I was in a really interesting um sort of moment as an audience member uh, the other week when I know you were a fan of Travis Alabanza and I was lucky enough to see them as part of a series um called Outspoken, which has a residency at the South Bank, and then they do this big show once a year where they take over the one of the bigger rooms and it was just a kind of a room full of queer people essentially. So it was great for people watching and um a mostly kind of um a bill of mostly of kind of queer performers. So Kate Tempest was there. Travis Alabanza there. It was hosted by Joelle Taylor. Six. And um
2: I'm sorry, I'm not I'm not
0: going to, to make, you, make you jealous. Just kind of setting this up for everybody. Um So please check out Outspoken at the Southbank Centre um, if that is your bag. Um, but So Travis Alabanza was there and they did their set, which was entirely made up of reading from their first published work, which I think they kind of self-published themselves and then kind of sent out to publishers in the hope to be published. So it was really amazing to watch somebody who at the moment is like having their careers just skyrocketing and they're doing these amazing things and they seem very comfortable in in them in themselves as a performer and as a person reading all this stuff, which is kind of like so, so like kind of raw and and kind of, you know, it's just that, that kind of younger writer you were talking about. And it was, mm-hmm. it's quite special to be there and, and kind of see them kind of, you know, kind of sharing the stuff and being quite vulnerable, being like, you know, I don't know how I'm going to feel about doing the stuff that, you know, I I wrote such a long time ago and I'm such a different person now as a writer and a person like what is your what is your relationship with your your younger self as a writer and and things that you've written
1: Um, honestly it's a proper mixed bag (laughs) like there's some stuff that I look back on like so I did a creative writing course as part of my BA like Mm. I was joint creative writer and drama and some of the stuff that I look back on that I wrote as part of that, some of that I'm like, you f- nailed it, mate. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. you know, knew where you were going with this. Um, and some of that stuff, like, I'm like, in my head, one day I'll come back to that. Some of it I look at and I'm like, you just didn't know. Like, uh, there's like, there's either, there's naivety, there's ignorance, and there's like, unsurety, there's, uh yeah there's just like there's there's some stuff in it that i'm just like oh cringe or or there's some stuff that i'm just like oh bless (laughs) Mm -hmm. but actually looking back on stuff like that is helps you to see how far you've come but also like like you need to learn to hold that version of yourself Mm. Though all of those versions of yourself that we're getting it wrong that we're muddling through, mm. I think like I'm quite a lot of the time that allows me to be quite proud that actually like oh look how much I've learned all this, look how much stuff I've learned, look how mm. much I've grown as a person, look how much my writing has grown mm. like even though I definitely haven't got it all figured out yet, like my writing is definitely not is probably never going to be perfect. it's never gonna be like on the level of perfection that I want it to be. Mm but is anyone's like <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah absolutely absolutely and it's it's such an important i think obviously, we've been talking about earlier such an important part of the human experience and as the writing experience as a creative is is being there for the growth and uh and the mistakes and and, and kind of learning from them and not trying to just kind of block them out because yeah. then you kind of miss out on so much you know it's such um um we chatted about this in one of the other conversations in the series, you know, about kind of um the issue with things like like cancel culture, you know, it's that it kind of it's 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 kind of it's trying to deny people the the permission to grow and to and to and to kind of acknowledge where they've gone wrong and try and do better, you know?
1: I mean it's also an opportunity though, isn't it? Like if you find yourself in that position where you feel like you're being cancelled, you can own up to it and you can be like great yes. Yeah, see what you're saying there check yourself learn from it move on and become better mm. or you can shut yourself down to that opportunity mm-hmm. like we all do stuff wrong we all like we should all be called out on it when we do stuff wrong mm. but actually letting yourself be accountable for that is the challenge in it
0: like mm. Yeah, I think it's sort of another flamingo moment really, you know. It's kind of <laughs> it's kind of ag- acknowledging the like, oh, I I I'm kind of I feel like I'm caught between two places here, like, ah, oh, okay, but but like kind of, you know, like valuing that experience and not kind of feeling that you have to you have to mute yourself or kind of try and be something that you're not that you're not yet, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, it's a vulnerable place to be in, mm. isn't it? But like Yeah, like you say, finding the value in it, finding the the momentum it can give you to go on and do cool stuff, like better things.
0: Absolutely. I I wonder if you can um, talk about a moment recently that brought you some joy.
1: specific moment <laughs> there's a lot there are a lot i think although i don't know because I, I i'm kind of at a, like i'm in a place where actually i i'm like i struggle sometimes to find joy mm, mm. um especially to find queer joy mm. like to find joy in my queerness mm. but i think there are those moments like Actually, just when I walk down the street in in my little town where you don't expect there to be other queer people mm. and then I'll catch the eye of someone who, like, I'm like, okay, yeah, your haircut to me says that you're gender nonconforming or, like, <laughs> you'll, you'll catch the eye of someone else and you'll both just be like, yeah, <laughs> I see you. Yeah. Um, and it is those little moments that, like disrupt that everyday like sense of like Mm non-belonging or like whatever it is for you that kind of yeah Mm. yeah I couldn't I can't give you a specific one because there's just so many little ones
0: right that's lovely that's lovely to hear that's lovely to hear (laughs) rather than be like it's just been this one tiny moment I remember (laughs) from 10 years ago um that's lovely. So, uh, so it sort of feels like to you, just the sense of being seen kind of like, and, and kind of seeing, seeing other yeah. people kind of going yeah, through something.
1: Yeah, I think thing. that's it. It's that like, it is, it is the seeing other people. Like it's that like m- microscopic connection that you get, or it's like your mate like checking in with you about something. You mate being like, oh, I noticed this. Like, mm. 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 how's that? What's that about? Mm-hmm. Like, And yeah, I think the connection that you get through that, even if it's not like to do with your queerness, even if it's like, just like, it just solidifies your relationship in a little way. Mm. That's those relationships that get you through,
0: isn't it? Absolutely. I think it's something that's been said quite a lot kind of digging into the subject because i think joy is quite a, a slippery concept really when you kind of get yeah. down into it it's a lot of things and it, and it means so many different things to so many people i've talked to people about it and we've had completely opposite definitions of what it means um and of course there's no right one uh i think the word community has come up a lot you know in sort of thinking about joy and, and what it means and how you experience it
1: mm. i think it's in like it's how that community Allows you to have hope, and um, and allows you to imagine the way that you can, the future that you're gearing towards. Mm. Like, yeah, it's like okay, with with this kind of support network or with like these relationships around me, I feel like I can see a way forward. Mm. I feel like can see like the path through the trees or like Mm. the glimpse of light at the end of the tunnel or whatever and like with each little each little like step towards that it gets more and more like it feels more and more achievable
0: Mm. absolutely yeah that's beautiful and i think that really speaks to what you must know all too well kind of the the experience of being a playwright specifically because it's you know sort of different to writing for uh you know kind of writing uh you know sort of fiction that you would hope to kind of have in in a book or a collection or 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 writing poetry which you might get up and read yourself it's like you kind of have the sense of like community or an expectation of community kind of like sort of pre-written into what you're doing you know i'm working on this and then i hope to bring it to a sort of a collection of people who I can work on it together, who will then take it to another collection of people who will hopefully get something yeah. from it.
1: Yeah, and I think, like, it's not, like, it's hard. The difficult part is writing in a vacuum, right, or working in a vacuum and, like, feeling like you're... Um, not having anyone to bounce off but yourself mm. and a lot of the time i don't know about you but i don't feel like i give myself enough to work with <laughs> <laughs> I feel like i'm sat there like why can't you just write this scene why can't you just put these words onto a page why is it so different difficult um but that is the challenging bit and then actually but the goal is right to get it into a rehearsal room or get it to a point where you can go and like work with it to make it stronger in collaboration with other people mm. or like, and then it gets stronger still when you put it in front of an audience and you can feel those feelings being shared
0: mm. and
1: feel those experiences being shared. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Cause you did that recently with, I think your current work in progress. Um, I know you took it to this wonderful fringe festival, FemFest in Brighton back in March. Like <laughs> how, how was that trying it out in front of a, in front of a, a captive fringe audience, <laughs> <laughs> they had no choice. They had
1: bought those tickets. They were, um, it was it was brilliant. Like it was um, so. It, the piece was uh, from a musical of mine that I'm working on called mm. "Who Gives a St- About Aunt Kathy." Um, working title. A lot of people are telling me I can't swear in the title, but uh, other people do it. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sticking to my guns for now um and yeah i it's a meant to be a three-hander it's meant to have musical accompaniment and all of this it's meant to be a full-length piece of musical theater Mm -hmm. um but all that we went with it was me and an actor called alice Tripp, who is very wonderful everyone should hire her and work with her and love her um we took it to fen it was this tiny little stage um They there was a lot of stand-up acts there. There was a lot of um like one person pieces. Um and then we're there trying to stay like Alice is there singing a full-on musical number, but in a cappella because we don't have any music to accompany it yet. And just that, like that is a really vulnerable place to put yourself in. Mm -hmm. Like first time having that piece of writing heard by anyone who wasn't just my really close mates, like First song I've ever written that I'm putting in front of an audience um, and it was like in a rough enough place that we got really good like feedback that is going to like is gonna proper drive mm. um like like my work on it now mm. um, but also just like it's, it was proper testament to the people who like ran that event in mm. the fact that it was a, it wasn't purely invited audience like it was open to the public people were buying tickets um, they'd curated like a, a bunch of scratch performances that were really really different um, and yeah it felt so safe mm. like it felt like walking out onto the stage i was like cuz you can feel it you can feel the energy right you're like okay yeah this isn't hitting like and but I don't feel any fear in that because I know that this is just going to make it stronger. Mm. Mm. Um, and it already has, like, it's already like cemented some decisions that Mm. are like taking it to a new level Mm. or that are like sending it in a new direction. And yeah, I think the only way you are ever actually going to fail is if you're in those contexts is if you're too afraid Mm. to give it a go, Mm. which Mm. is a, uh, a thing that I need to remind myself of most days <laughs> <laughs> even just walking out the house <laughs> um but yeah yeah it was it was beautiful it was great mm. I know you had an experience of performing with them as well so you must have felt like the similar like the atmosphere
0: yeah it was just a, such a wonderfully supportive uh, space and I think you know sort of thinking about those things you kind of wish you knew when you were starting out and trying to you know be a writer and a creative just thinking like oh there's a space you can take things to try things out in front of people (laughs) and like there will be an audience for it and you know there are you know there are other creatives who help you to sort of you know give you that space and I think oh I wish I'd known that you know when I was starting out you know because I think sometimes when you want to write and you're inspired to do it and then you kind of get to that point where you think well what do I do with it now you know there's sometimes that can feel like such an overwhelming space and there's you know there's such a clear idea of what success looks like as a creative and of course there's so many different individual um, examples of what it means and can mean and I think you know that's just something I I wish I wish I could have like kind of for my younger self to have experienced to be able to go and you know try try out an idea in front of like on a scratch night or a work in progress night you know just so that you can have the value of that kind of collaborative experience of working with an audience to to be like, okay, this didn't quite land. Let me go and examine why that was or like this worked really well and I want to bring more of this out, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's Yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, you captured it all there. Like, <laughs> it's just it's it does just combat that over- overwhelmingness, doesn't it? And it like gives you like a baby steps opportunity to get it on its feet Mm. gives you like the impetus to get it on its feet um and sometimes that can be so fulfilling like even at a really early stage Mm. just to like even like especially if you're performing your own work like which for this piece like if it goes into full production i wouldn't perform in it but at this stage i am Mm. gives you this idea of like how an actor is gonna experience that piece of work going into it Mm um but also yeah you get the opportunity to yeah look at it through that different lens and look at it through the eyes of an audience
0: something that i'm interested in exploring in the work that i do is the kind of coexistence of things coming together that aren't necessarily spo- supposed to coexist and you know that's certainly that has a lot of um uh, crossovers and, and, and sort of like relevance with, uh, like queer stories and queer people, you know, kind of, you know, existing in a binary world and, and trying to kind of make sense of that and yourself within it. Um, you know, and I think with, with queerness and with joy, you know, we're kind of, we're told or perhaps led to believe sometimes that those two things are not necessarily meant to coexist, you know, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're told often, to be less, or to be to be kind of fearful, and that we don't have as many inherent rights as others. And there's, you know, it's um it sometimes feels that like, like those two things shouldn't go together, or that or that they can only go together in a, a certain way. Sort of, you know, talking earlier about the sense of you know, uh, loud queerness versus quiet queerness. You yeah. know? Uh, and um, one of my favourite performers and and, and writers um, is uh, Bimini, uh, the, the the drag queen of drag fame. Um, <laughs> Uh, there are many. There are many. I'm finding more very like kind of because drag is not seen as this kind of like you know intellectual space. Um, but many of my favorite drag performers are you know very fiercely intelligent people. You know, mm-hmm. there's Bimini, there's Cheddar Gorgeous, who has a PhD in anthropology, and Bimini has a masters in in, in journalism. Um, so uh, you know, it's very eloquent when, when they're both very eloquent when they talk. And they were talking to uh, Clara Amfo, Amph- Clara Amfo, on the This City podcast about the sense that by being queer you've kind of already failed at society's expectations of you you know which is sort of both a punishment and a liberation at the same time it's like mm-hmm. you failed at this thing but also because you failed you kind of by default get to define your own idea of success you know and I wonder kind of what your thoughts are on that, on that kind of that sense of that existence between like kind of queerness and joy and and you know kind of what what that kind of dividing what queer means you know both as a, as a resistance and a celebration you know like kind of what, what do those things kind of bring up for you god
1: that's so many. i definitely don't have a like clear cut answer for that that's so yeah there's so much to think about i think i find it really interesting the way yeah the way that that the idea that we've already failed, we're never going to live up to all of the expectations, we're never going to fit anyone else's vision of what queerness means, is also so easily applicable to, like, you're never going to fit, if you're a cis man or a cis woman, you're never going to fit anyone else's idea of what perfect femininity or perfect masculinity are Mm,
3: mm.
1: and like i see it as well like um uh this idea of like chosen family Mm. like we as queer people choose our families but actually straight people do that too Mm. there are straight people there are like cis people who don't have the support system in their like in their own families so Mm. they have found it elsewhere like Mm. they find it in their friendships they find it in workplaces in like Mm. completely like like, circumstantial, like, connections. But that idea that... No, I don't know. Like, I don't know where I'm going with this. Like, but, like, it's a a human experience. Mm -hmm. And it's just, like, you just want to shake everyone who disagrees with the fact that queerness is just a part another part of humanity Mm. where you're like you feel these things too you just don't have a language for them you just don't like they're just not framed for you in the same way that they are for us Mm. and yeah I feel like more and more people will see that like like yeah eventually Mm-hmm. Eventually, the binary world will come to see <laughs> <laughs> all that bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's frustrating, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it is, and I, I think I think it brings out kind of a, I think compassion in me as well, and also it's given me some I think some some solace, like particularly reading people like Alec Menon, who speaks and writes so so wonderfully and articulately about how these things do apply to everybody. It's just that if you're if you're queer and you're visibly queer, people kind of feel, I don't know, almost like challenged by things that they didn't know they had to work through themselves. There's a wonderful phrase that um the the writer and um they're very big on um, TikTok. They write for um Last Week Tonight with John Oliver amongst other things. Uh they're called Ryan Ken and they do these wonderfully silly videos. But um they were chatting on the on the gender reveal podcast um which i really recommend you check out if you're into all things all things uh gender and exploring uh what that means and learning more about c- queer writers and performers uh they were talking about this idea that they feel like in society walking around that they're a bit of a confessional altar for people mm, Do you know what i mean yeah that sense that people feel they can come up and talk to you as if you were like some kind of like high priest of queerness and like kind of confess your sins or your kind of your (laughs) your insights to or kind of rage at you know the sense of like you know kind of sort of like attracted like um like a moth to a flame and the sense of being like oh you know like like um like like my son is like transitioning or or like like why do you dress like that you know what are you doing it to get um you know what are you trying to achieve like i've had i've had all of the you know all of these comments you know like and some have been really lovely and some have been quite challenging um, but I think there is a sense because you're more visible. I think as, as a queer person, kind of working through the same things as you, as you, as you wonderfully put, that we all experience. Um, I think we just have to be more open about it because I think mm. I think it's something that we've had to work really hard. I think to, to sort of understand and kind of step into ourselves. But that's something that everybody does in their own way. It's just not. It's just not seen. Like whether you're you know you're kind of transitioning to 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 learn how to be a father or a mother or you're, you're transitioning to learn how to be I don't know kind of better at your job you know whatever it is these are all things I think they're just they're just not quite appreciated or seen in the same way
1: yeah and I think like yeah I definitely get like I get mates come up to me and they're like you know what like I I feel like this about my gender and it gives like me being open about my identity gives them permission mm-hmm. to be open about theirs,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and I think, like, as like as scary as it is, like, if you are capable of being visible, that is, that's already radical in the sense that as you walk down the street, you're already disrupting that binary, mm-hmm. like that, you're already disrupting the sense of everyday conformity that a lot of people have mm. and yeah i think the more we all learn to embrace that the, the better.
0: So you are currently completing your phd in shakespearean studies um so you're focusing on shakespeare also with a kind of emphasis on like gender and queerness is that right
1: yeah yeah um uh where to start (laughs) um so yeah i've I've kind of submitted it and i'm in the process of making some additions so that kind of it's all like finished and Mm. over and i can move on with my life um but uh basically it is exploring adapting and directing techniques um which i applied to a specific set of shakespeare's plays. Um, but uh, those techniques are kind of geared towards disrupting this repeated cycle, um, what I call the hegemonic victory narrative. Um, As there's a phrase, yeah. Yes, there's an <laughs> academic phrase for you, <laughs> um, which is basically like this repetitive cycle of the uh, the character who is more often than not on stage a white, cis uh noble man um who repeatedly comes out on top across across this specific set of plays mm. um and it's like how do you disrupt that through casting through uh like how that character is embodied through how the actor interprets that character through how you chop and change the text around um and kind of how you frame it within the bigger production Mm. Mm. um and yeah basically my the written part of it it was so it was practice based it was I put on the shows Mm. and then and that was like half of the PhD and then the second half was me reflecting on that and being like so these are the things I got wrong this is what I learned from that these are the things that really worked and Mm. were really cool um yeah and like unpacking all of the ideas that kind of or most of the ideas. You don't have time for all of them,
0: annoyingly. Absolutely. And that's, I think, a part of writing and creating that, certainly from an outside perspective, perhaps isn't appreciated or or talked about a lot. Because, you know, writing is not just kind of being in in the throes of inspiration and just writing stuff down. That's often (laughs) where you first start. The often biggest part of writing is the drafting and the the inquiring, asking yourself questions like that and, like, how can I make this better or kind of try things out? Like, kind of, what's your relationship with that essential but often quite difficult part of writing?
1: Yeah, that really frustrating part of writing. <laughs> um, I think the biggest, the biggest challenge, uh, particularly with my PhD thesis, but also, like, in creative writing as well, like, is that I so often end up I go on so many different tangents my poor supervisor is like come on come back on track please stop stop (laughs) um but inevitably ends up in a completely different place Mm. to where it started and where it was intended to go Mm. um which for stuff like playwriting is gorgeous because you can like you can start out by, like, oh, I'm writing a play about sex work in rural America, and then it becomes about queer identity, right? Mm. Um, but with a PhD thesis, when you have a deadline and you have, like, you've submitted your proposal and you kind of have to stick to it, it's slightly slightly more challenging.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's, and it's the hard art, isn't it, is is taking that original seed or that original gem if you're lucky to to birth a gem at the first go is to not kind of smother it or kind of you know make it so far from what you began with that really inspired you you know
1: yeah that's it and I think it is still there like that disruptive element is still there the idea was how can we uh challenge these recurring narratives and how can we like there's an argument that we don't need to be updating Shakespeare. We should let Shakespeare, Shakespeare is in the past. We should let it become the past. We shouldn't let it remain in the past. Mm. Um, and then there's an argument for keeping it alive and keeping it relevant. I'm using air quotes. <laughs> um, but I think that, that I that original like what can we learn through adapting and re and staging and reimagining these stories um almost as like using Shakespeare as a lens to understand how our understandings of ourselves and how storytelling kind of shapes can shape ideas Mm. uh Mm. our ideas of you know of theatre making and and uh kind of characters and humans <laughs> mm,
0: mm. absolutely absolutely and because um, uh, shakespeare is this very curious thing fascinating thing that kind of feels like it, it does belong to everybody you know because it's because it's obviously um you know about uh, kind of the works but you know 500 years or so old but it's keep it keeps coming back and keeps changing and morphing and people do so many interesting things with it and I think of course there is an argument to do it as it was done at the time and it doesn't really matter you know whether you think that is a is appropriate or the the right way to do Shakespeare but I think the the fact of the matter is that Shakespeare was you know kind of trying things out and and, and experimenting with things at the time so it, it does in that sense speak to. What what Shakespeare is in in that sense that it was it was formed in a in a theatrical context where people were trying and experimenting with things and reflecting their times, often in quite dangerous covert ways. You know, kind of being the king's players um, yeah. to King James, um, who was King James the sixth of Scotland and then became King James of England, and kind of doing these plays like Macbeth which feels kind of like, you know, show, holding up a mirror to the king in the court, you know, so doing some really kind of like radical, dangerous stuff. And uh, and I think it shows it's kind of like very alive, you know, kind of like source material to be working with and that still speaks to us today.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think like there was so much going on at that time, wasn't there? It was a renaissance for the theatre, like like you say, with indoor playhouses opening up for the first time, like exploring new styles and technical um, uh, technicalities like um, it's not the right word technical aspects mm-hmm. of production mm-hmm. um, uh, at the same time as we were colonizing America and and uh, we were changing monarchs and there there was this massive religious shift and this massive like um, like we were slowly moving towards a kind of new ideologies and like moving from like knightly chivalry to something that more resembles our contemporary ways of like thinking about like gender Mm. and Mm. and other things like that Mm. and i think that sense of exploration is the most important thing to not lose Mm. like shakespeare isn't uh, we're told it's universal. We, we, it has this sense of universality about it, but actually, it, it's universal. If it is universal, a lot of the time that's because it was forced onto people. Mm. It's because it's still a part of how we, of our like secondary school education, our primary school education. Like, you don't get the choice of whether you buy into the Shakespeare like phenomena mm. or not. And I think if you could if there's a way to move away from that into a we're excited by Shakespeare because we're excited by Shakespeare mm. and not because of like this whole cultural capital that it holds. Mm-hmm. I think it's sorry, there's a lot of really complex ideas and
0: <laughs> No, yeah, that's, that's 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 wonderful. <laughs> I think it kind of speaks to the the joy and the conundrum of Shakespeare, which is like it is wonderful stuff that is so rich and can so speak, continue to speak to today as if it was written today. Um, you know, I was uh, rereading Julius Caesar not so long ago <laughs> and there was an amazing National Theatre production which I saw uh, online uh, from, I think, 2019 of Julius Caesar and they did it as as if it was, you know, the Trump era. Oh, yeah. And, and it yeah, felt yeah. like, oh, of course, that makes perfect sense. And it, and it didn't feel at all like they were doing it just for the sake of it. It felt so so valid and relevant yeah wasn't uh, that the
1: one that got shut down didn't wasn't the one that got shut down
0: i mean that'd be quite appropriate if it yeah. was <laughs> <laughs> um but it was yeah i think i think because shakespeare is this thing that we all we all study at school and we all have this sense of like it is this lauded um you know sort of sacred work at uh, the one time that is kind of a yoke kind of which will put people off you know kind of like, why would i be interested in that yeah i know all about that but in a way, it kind of does feel it belongs to everybody because it is so part of our culture, yeah. which means it is sort of accessible to anybody. And I think yeah. um, what is lovely about, I think, the culture around it now and certainly stuff that you've been doing with your theatre company, Apricity, is trying to make it accessible and also speak to people in ways that people might not expect, you know, because you're looking at it from like a, a in, in looking into the aspects of gender and also the the queer elements in Shakespeare. I mean... Was there anything that kind of surprised you when you find, when you first started researching deeply into Shakespeare and kind of looking at it through that lens?
1: Um, I think... I think it was... I think it was the fact that the more you try and do with it, the more, like, if you're going to change something... Like, um, for example, I put on a production which com- called Between the Armies, mm-hmm. which combined Henry the Fourth Part One and Henry the Fourth Part Two. Mm. Um, and in those plays, um, Prince Hal kind of goes through this pr- like England is in civil war. Prince Hal kind of goes through this process of uh, like becoming a man mm. and like growing into the kingship that he um later embodies when he's Henry V mm. Mm. um and making prince Hal a young gay man mm. um a young closeted gay man mm. in that show um uh which initially feels like a really easy thing to do it feels like it fits quite neatly into that storyline of like he feels a- alien to the core mm-hmm. he feels alien in like he, he kind of straddles these two worlds he doesn't quite fit into either of them mm. but actually uh, d- making a simple change a change like that that feels simple it opens up so many cans of worms mm. that don't fit neatly onto Shakespeare that don't fit neatly in the way that we think about them now mm-hmm. um like they're complicated stories to tell mm. um And, but actually sometimes that disjointedness is where the most interesting stuff happens. Like that, like, oh, the version of closetedness that I'm watching isn't quite, doesn't quite historically fit into this time. It doesn't quite match up with what I consider closetedness to be in Mm. the modern world. So what is it? And actually, like, that's where a lot of the really interesting, like, thinking, like, And, yeah, you leave shows like that sometimes, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, I leave shows like that with, like, so many more thoughts in my head than I went in with. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because you're kind of, like, challenging um, perceptions around, I suppose, for one, what Shakespeare can be, um, but then also kind of how the issues that are being brought up are are explored and what they're kind of allowed to be.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think, uh, like, because... uh, um, because it was an experiment, those shows were never going to be perfect, they were never intended to be perfect, and that is so freeing, as a theatre maker.
0: Are there writers like working at the moment that you, you feel particularly inspired by and are really excited by the work they're doing?
1: So many. Um... I think we've talked about Travis Alabanza. We've talked about K. Tempest. We've talked... Like, there's, there's a really exciting, like, bunch of, like, queer, non-binary trans writers who are kind of, like, finally getting the prominence that they deserve. Mm. Uh, and, like, being out and queer and, like, letting that lead their work. Mm. And... and letting that be part of their work and part of their like public personalities. Mm -hmm. And that is so inspiring. Mm -hmm. Just having that, like, like I think I said to you, like I haven't even read all of the plays that these people have written, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. just knowing that they exist Mm -hmm. is inspiring enough. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I have to give a shout out to Flo, Florence, Espo, Nicholas as well, because like I've had the, I've had the opportunity to like, uh, work with her or like I've come across her work in, a couple of different ways now and there is like a real sense of resistance in what she does like there's people use the word like authenticity a lot Mm. um and i think it can mean so many different things but like if you watch a show that flo has written she often like performs her own work as well um or she like writes it for like in the case of the odyssey She was writing it about that community for that community to Mm. be performed by that community. Mm. And so the voices of all the people in those spaces and that room and that town were so present Mm. and like, and that is a tangible thing in her work. Mm. Like, yeah, there's no disconnect. Mm. And I think, that's something like really special to see
0: uh, yeah i find that really inspiring Psst. it's a joint production by ree Roche and artful scribe to find out about and get involved in the fantastic work that artful scribe do please go to artfulscribe.co.uk. you can follow them on the socials at ArtfulScribe. follow Re at ree Baroche to find out what they're up to